Hello, my field daisies. Today is a very special episode of the podcast because we have Elisa So, a returning guest on the podcast. Say hi, Elisa. Hello, hello. Yeah, and we also have a new guest, Tomvi Agrawal. Say hello. Hello. And Tomvi, what is our life lesson for today? Our life lesson is helping yourself helps others. Yes, so true. That's amazing. Thank you so much for the life lesson. And now let's roll the intro music. Can you guys introduce yourselves? One of you guys has been on the podcast before, but someone is brand new, so... Yeah, so my name is Alisa, and I have been on the podcast before, and I'm Woo-hoo. so excited that Daisy has invited me back, and now I get to meet new friends. Yeah. Tanvi, you want to introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Tanvi. I use they, them pronouns. Yes. I'm very excited to be on Daisy's podcast. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. I've told both of you guys this, but you're like two of my only friends in SF, so I really wanted you guys to meet. I had two of my friends, Celia and Claudia, on the podcast. You guys should listen to that podcast if you haven't listened to it already. Um, they met for the first time the day we did the podcast, and I'm actually doing this experience again. So this right. is the first time you guys have met, Love right? It. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is we all went to Berkeley together, too, but we yeah. just... So for some reason, you guys just didn't cross paths, Miss even though you, paths. Yeah. you were in the same major, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. This is what happens when you go to a public school with 30,000 people. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But since we don't know each other, we thought it would be really fun for the podcast to never have I ever. Oh my goodness. Yeah. For those of you who have not played Never Have It Ever, both of you have, but for those of you who have not, who are the listeners of this podcast, what you do is we hold five fingers up and we each go around saying things that we've never done. If you've done the thing, you have to put the uh, finger down. Whoever puts their hand down first loses. So mm-hmm. yeah. Are you guys ready? Yes. Um, okay. So um, nose goes. Tommy, oh. you go first. I go first. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Five fingers up All right. and you got to go first. All right. Never have I ever wanted to get married. Oh. Wow. Yeah. That's right. We got two fingers down here. Me and Elisa both put our down. fingers down. I, yeah. I feel like we really do need to talk a little bit more about the marriage thing yeah. because this idea of marriage in our generation, I think, has been pushed back. And so there have been periods where I've gravitated towards not like necessarily wanting that for me, but also growing up and seeing that as the path because that's what my parents did and that's how society kind of shaped you to want to want. Mm-hmm. Wait, have you always wanted marriage or have you or just recently now thought about marriage? No, it wasn't more of a recent thing. I think mm-hmm. growing up I wanted it more and then now, now that I don't want it, but it's kind of like now I'm considering the option of like what would it look like without it as well. Oh, yeah. okay, interesting. Yeah. So I have to say, everybody assumes that the reason I don't want to get married is because my parents are divorced, and that I have some sort of vendetta or like resentment <laughs> towards marriage. And like, I, mm. it's funny because I went to therapy as a child, and like they kind of expected that I would want to talk about my parents getting divorced, and I would just kind of sit there, like, 
like, what are you talking about? This is great. Like, my parents should not be together. They are mm-hmm. really not meant to be together. Right, right. So I didn't have any issues with that, really, growing up. For me, what it is is that I really dislike marriage as an institution. Mm. I hate the idea that, first of all, I should integrate my finances with anybody. Mm. I don't give a fuck. I don't want, mm. like, the tax benefit for giving up the independence or freedom of my own financial independence. Like, that's one thing. Second of all, I just don't need a piece of paper that is legally binding me to someone for what purpose? They can decide whether or not to pull the plug on me? No, what's the purpose of that? I wanna have healthy long-term relationships where I can co-parent with someone, where we can be on the same page about how we wanna live our lives like around each other and like plan around each other. But marriage as an institution, no, thank you. Okay. I'll have a wedding. I'll have a big ass <laughs> fucking wedding. I'll yes. have a celebration. I'll mm-hmm. declare my love for someone, my intention to be with them long term. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to get married. Yeah. And you know what's funny about me? Because with my upbringing, like my parents were married almost on a whim. Like they didn't have like the traditional Chinese wedding. Basically, what happened was my mom wanted to get an apartment in China. And in order to do that, you had to be married. So she literally took my dad's ID, waited in line, was like, hey, we're married. Let's go get furniture. And my dad was like, we're about to move to Germany. Like, what are you saying? Like, blah, blah, blah. But like, that's kind of like their marriage story. And so for me, I always thought like, you know, I would get married for the convenience of it. Like, oh, better health insurance or oh, cheaper taxes. Like, I always thought of it more as like a transactional thing it's convenient yeah it's like like, uh, for the convenience of it and signing a prenup as like yeah like let's keep separate bank accounts let's have like one shared bank account that can be for our mortgage or like shared bills but then we each have our own personal i don't know so like i've had grown up with like a very non-traditional view of marriage as well Lately, I've been like, eh, I think it'd be fun to get married for love, too. That's, that's, yeah. that's chill. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because mm-hmm. you're basically talking about the other side of the same mm-hmm. coin, which is exploiting yeah. a system, mm-hmm. which is not actually based on love. It's about legal. Like, mm-hmm. it's about legal benefits. It's about tax benefits, about financial benefits, healthcare benefits. Like you said, there's a lot of institutionalization about the purpose of marriage. And I'm all for it. I'm all for it if you want to use that to your benefit. Absolutely do. But why does it exist that way? Yeah, I agree. Also, I don't know if the listeners can hear this, but Sunny's playing with a squiggly toy behind <laughs> us. So if you hear the clitter clatter, that's Sunny. I feel like a bad cat mom if I don't let her play with it. So yeah. <laughs> the listeners are just going to have to deal with it. So yeah, okay, Tombi, that was a good one. You got yes. both of us. That was really good. Elisa, do you want to go next? Yes. I want to use this totally against you both. While we're talking during dinner, I think this is something that came up for me. Never have I ever visited Italy. Ooh, that's hard. But wait, can you... uh, I hear sirens. It's good. It's whatever. Like, this is going to be like a very noisy podcast. But yeah, okay. That's a good one too because that got me out as well. I have been to Italy. You've been to Italy. Italy's amazing. Highly recommend anyone who hasn't been to Italy to go to Italy. Yeah. I I lived there for a little bit. I studied abroad there. You know, Mm -hmm. kind of happened by by just life, nature. Yeah. Studying abroad. Mm -hmm. Great place. Yeah, it is a great place. This actually is a good uh, transition segue into my never have I ever is I've never been out of the country without my parents. Yeah, so I went to Italy with my parents and it was so fun. We rented a car. We went to um, northern, southern, Tuscany, everywhere. We went to um, Venice. We went everywhere and it was amazing. But I feel like I missed that integral part of being in a foreign place with friends because we didn't go to the nightclubs we didn't do any of like the fun Mm. crazy things you do when you go out of the country with friends Mm. like that's something that is definitely on my bucket list to do 
I want to do it this year. I want to go out of the country with friends this year. And I think it, I mean, that was kind of what we were talking about earlier with me and Tanvi experiencing what it was like to study abroad. And like, I don't know if anybody listening is in college right now, but try to take the opportunity to study abroad. And that was the advice I was actually given when I was working at the dining halls. I had someone who was my boss tell me if there's anything that you do in college, it is to study abroad so that you have that experience of living in a new culture and experiencing just what it means to be in a different environment. Because a lot of times we are born and raised in a certain environment and we very easily get caught into our bubble and what our expectation of what the world is going to be like. And it's also just very fun and it is an exciting place. Mm -hmm. But Daisy, there is hope for you. Just because you didn't study abroad doesn't mean you can't do that now. Mm -hmm. um, I know, especially with remote work, like you told me about remote year. Yes. Um, that definitely sounds like a really interesting company. Yes. You want to explain it a little bit for people who don't know what it is? I, yeah. I've literally, I've never done it, but I literally am a spokesperson for it. I'm like, have you heard of Remote Year? Yes. It's so good. It's such an interesting concept. I think they're, they are getting more popular yeah. because the mm -hmm. way that I've heard of Remote Year was through my, my partner and he found out about Remote Year, I think from his brother, which is like, Wow, what was what is that? that? Is that a firework? Is Fireworks, that a okay. yeah. gunshots? Okay. That, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But I think that was a firework. Yeah, yeah. 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 That was, mm -hmm. It sounded more dispersed, you know? It's not just like a singular. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, I think remote year is the way that, and I'm going to say AJ because he, he's my boyfriend. The way that AJ <laughs> describes it is that it's like study abroad for working adults. And so if you have the opportunity to work remotely, we have an opportunity to travel to a new country. We've been looking a lot in Lima, Peru, yeah. whether that's like one month, three months, a year, and kind of get immersed in that culture. And so you'll have your own place, kind of your own place to stay, but there'll be set experiences that they plan for you with the larger group. It's kind of very similar to that experience and you'll have that communal vibe of you aren't living in the same apartment, but you're in the same complex or, or something similar like that. And you're put in a position where you're with people who are going through the same experience as you. You're like all working together. You all kind of want to travel and explore a new environment. Mm -hmm. Has he done it before? No, he hasn't okay. done it before. It's just one of those things where, oh, we were talking about it and he has a tra travel bug, especially since COVID has been around for, for a while. It continues to be around. Mm -hmm. But as we're thinking about how the world's been opening up, what can we do to incorporate travel into our lives again? Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. There is nothing more 21st century millennial thing <laughs> yes. I've ever heard than like remote year for working professionals who can literally work from wherever mm -hmm. they yeah. want. Yeah. And what like, what the they, world become? I know. And the thing is, like, I literally got it from an Instagram ad. Mm -hmm. So that's how I know about wow. it. They give you like a workspace as well. Like, you will have good internet, almost like a WeWork type situation mm -hmm. where like you have a place to work wow. as well as play. Um, I like, definitely consider trying it. I yeah. think it's if I weren't like, I feel like I am kind of tied down now a little bit in the sense of like I need to be where the jobs are at if I'm, mm, mm. If I'm booked for a weekend but I think it is an experience that you should have mm -hmm. and especially with Pranjal I think it would be good for you to yeah. you both to like just travel and and have like the the nomad life and see what it's like yeah. because we are digital nomad yeah. we're in such a unique mm -hmm. time where it is like for us who are all tech workers very privileged place we have the opportunity to work from wherever and so why not take that opportunity to exactly yeah okay cool so now let's get the score you have five right wait can mm -hmm. i add one more thing to the yeah go for it please 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 mm -hmm. yes i just want to give a shout out to solo traveling mm -hmm. because you were saying how you've never mm -hmm. been without your your parents but then mm -hmm. that you wanted to be with friends and it occurred to me 
but you can also go alone. That's true. I've mm-hmm. always been terrified of doing that, but so many people do it and it's not as dangerous as people think. Like I had a friend who like literally went to Paris by herself and she loved, it's the time of her life. Like yeah. it's, it's doable for females as well. I honestly, I think maybe like 80%, 75% of my travel, especially during study abroad, was just by myself. Cause yeah. I was like, I'm not gonna wait around for someone else to be in agreement with me about where to go and what to do. I wanna do these things. Mm-hmm. I have limited time, I'm gonna do it. And honestly, yeah. I have no regrets. <laughs> <laughs> I think it really depends on your mindset about mm-hmm. about traveling too. Because I've traveled alone. Like right before I started working full time, I went to Taiwan, Hong Kong, Philippines, and Japan by myself. But I had people along the way. Like I had people living in the countries that I was going to. Or I had people coming along. But for the most part, I was on my own exploring the city. And so if you're the kind of person who gets really existential <laughs> during those moments or feels like moments of like, loneliness because what, what do you travel for? Do you travel for the experience of being in a new place or do you travel to create new memories with someone as well, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there there's a place for both and it just depends on what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. That's really yeah. good advice. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Okay, so score. Okay, I have three. You have three. 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 Oh, so we all have three. I yes. thought you had five. I don't know why I thought you had five for some reason. Well. I forgot. <laughs> I was like struggling to coming up. I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't. Yeah. I think everybody's experience. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. I'm going to yeah. get you again. Don't all worry. All right. Okay. So for those listening, the score is tied. Now it's Tomby's turn. What is your never have ever? Oh, God. I'm really going to go after her. Never have I ever, ever had a belly button piercing. Oh, oh my goodness. goodness. That's it. Yes. <laughs> and it's so funny because I could have gotten away with it if I had not worn a crop top today. <laughs> it is an abnormally warm day in the Bay Area, San yeah. Francisco. It's like 70 degrees. It's crazy. Yeah. In February. Yep. In February. I know people that are like in winter snowstorms are like, fuck you guys. But like, (laughs) but wait, tell us your story of your belly button ring. If there is a story. There is a story. And so, oh my goodness. So it is the third year of my college experience and I'd gone out of a long-term relationship and I was in a very much a, excuse my language, fuck it mode where I was like, you know, my previous relationship was a very, he, he was very much like a Christian traditionalist. And so I'm not religious. And I kind of fell along that path of like being a good girl. What did it mean to be a good girl? So when we broke up, I was like, I'm joining the vagina monologues. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I got my first tattoo. I'm getting my belly button piercing. And it was really a way for me to like reclaim who I was, reclaim my identity without a partner. And like what it meant to be coming into my own being. Mm-hmm. And so... I love yeah. that. So I didn't. I did not know that was the story. I love that so much. It's Thank amazing. You, you yeah. want to know a funny story? Yeah. I had my nipples pierced. <gasps> yeah. Did you really? For like almost two years. Shut yeah. up. I did it not was, know that. I know you didn't know that. I know, right? It was yeah. very interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were really cute. They were like little yeah. different colored opals, like yes. four different colored. Wait, opals. when was this? I got it when I was 20, and then I, mm. I got them out shortly before I was 22, mostly because it was honestly really hard for them to heal. They just yeah. kept getting kind of, like, irritated, and so finally I took them out. But it was cool. I mean, the idea behind it at that time was that I kind of was all into, like, the free the nipple movement. Yes, yes, yes. And I just, yes. Like, I just felt like I couldn't, like, live my, like, own what I was preaching. I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. And so I kind of felt like if I got jewelry put into my nipples that I would feel like showing them up. And I, I'm not even kidding. Like everybody and their mother saw my nipples that year. Yeah. Like everybody, my mom, I sent her pictures yes. of my actual tits. Like my yes. mom has seen those. Yeah. Exactly. So there was that thought behind it, but 
don't know. One thing I do have to say, you know, it's very interesting that Daisy, you asked me what my story was behind piercing because I do feel like with every tattoo, with every piercing, there is kind of an origin story of like, why did I get this? What did it mean for me at that current time? If and when like you decided to remove it or if you still have it today, what does it mean for you in this current moment, right? And so Ooh, I, was I, like really, that. I love like what you're sharing to me about like you were in the free the, the nipple mo uh, movement and you kind of embraced that and that's that was your time and then yeah, you took them out too because like, yeah. Yeah. Piercings are hard to maintain. <laughs> I feel like my belly button piercing, it's been... How long has it been? Is it, can't, is it, has it been seven years? I've had my belly button piercing for seven years. It's not entirely healed yet, I don't feel like. Whoa. And that's the thing. Yeah. Mm. It's like still bleeds every once in a while. Like, yeah, man. Sucks. Yeah. I think the thing with piercings though, you have to keep them in. Because I had earring piercings that I never wore earrings for the longest time. And then they close up. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you noticed, but I always have earrings in now. Like I sleep yes. in these earrings. No, definitely, yeah. And now they're fine. But yeah, you have to like weirdly maintain them you know mm -hmm. yeah do you want to tell me okay do you have a story behind your nose ring this is like off topic oh, but yeah um well i mean it's interesting because i got mm -hmm. my nose piercing when i was really young like mm -hmm. 15 like what younger than what is even normally allowed with like parental consent mm -hmm. and like my mom came with me to get it done because I'm Indian. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of funny. I gave my mom this ultimatum when I was 15. Either I'm getting my nose pierced or I'm dyeing my hair. And she literally had this WhatsApp group chat with her and like all her cousins <laughs> and her sisters. And she was like, what the fuck should I do? Should I let Tommy get like yeah, yeah. her hair dyed? And they were like, no, it's going to hurt. It's going to ruin her hair. However, nose piercings are culturally very common mm -hmm. in India. And so, you know, she's like, maybe it'll be a phase but I'll allow her to do it. <laughs> I've had it for like 10 years and yeah. it just really suits me. And I, I had a stud and then I changed to a nose ring in like freshman year of college and I just feel like it's part of me now. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's crazy that your mom was so cool. Like my mom would have been like, you're not getting either. So don't even <laughs> fucking ask. Like you're not, what are you saying? You're not getting either. I know, I know. Yeah. That's true. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, I think it really comes down to the fact that culturally it was acceptable. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And just like for me too, like I got my ears pierced when I was a baby. So I don't even remember when I got mm. my ears pierced. I got them, like my, I think my mom, it was very important for her, I guess, to just have pierced ears. I don't know if, if that was her sign of like, femininity and what that meant to be like a feminine person was to have pierced ears so me and my sister both had our ears pierced when we were a baby a baby and we didn't re even remember it it's very interesting what you said about it being cultural and how it was kind of accepted because it was part of your culture mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's also interesting that you pointed that out because i feel like I never even thought about it. Like, my yeah. ears were pierced as a baby, and I never really? thought about it. Really? You too? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's like a never have ever, because mine were pierced yeah. as a teenager, so yeah. we, we oh, all missed that opportunity. But yours yeah. was pierced, yours were pierced too, yeah. Yeah, like, mm -hmm. there was never even a that's thought That's so about cool. Yeah. I wish my ears were pierced as a baby, because then I wouldn't have felt it. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, I will give credit to my mom a little bit, because, like, I remember going to her as a kid, and I was like, I want to get my ears pierced. Mm -hmm. And she was like, no, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. She actually went and got hers done as well, because yeah. she didn't have her ears pierced. Oh, I see. So then we both went, and I got. I got two. I got two. So, like, I will say my mom was kind of cool because she let me get two. Wow, that's a special experience. Yeah. Did you guys get your first pair of ears at, together? At yeah. Claire's. Claire's. Shout out Which Claire's. Is like, yeah, Claire's, the yeah. whole, like, millennial, late Gen mm -hmm. Z experience Thank of going you. to Claire's. Yeah. Getting your ears pierced. Thank you for the slightly mismatched, yeah. like, uneven piercing. The staple piercing. gun, yeah. which we all know now is not oh. the best way to get any yeah. sort of piercing. Wait, okay, where do Gen Z's get their ears pierced now? Like, I have no fucking clue. No 
good. Yeah. Shady ass. Shady ass, shady ass yeah. tattoo polish. Yeah. Literally. Yes. They get they get their their illegal tattoos and their ears pierced at yes. the same time. Yes. For all the people who are familiar with New York City, St. Mark's Place is like the place to go for all of your underage delinquent needs. <laughs> don't and, like, don't, don't right. advertise Please, it on I'm my podcast. Yes, yes. It's like eighth street in Manhattan. Yeah. And I basically haven't really gotten any piercings there, mm. but I assume Gen Z's today, mm. that's their spot. As I assume that. Any Gen Z's listening, please <laughs> confirm with Tom B. Is that the spot to get your piercings yes. in? I really want to know. Yeah. This is another conversation that I want to have. We can like, go We can go anywhere on this podcast. So, so I know we're yeah. talking about, we were just talking about like being like, like Gen Zers. And I think we're in kind of a position where we're a little bit on the border of mm-hmm. between like millennials and Gen Zers. And I think growing up, because we didn't have a term for what Gen Z was, at the time, I very much identified with, like, being a millennial, mm-hmm. but, like... I still it, do. And I still do, right? I still identify with being a millennial, but I, I, as we're getting older, and I work with older co- co-workers, co-workers who are in, like, you know, the early 30s, and there are a lot of people who were just like, oh, yeah, aren't you, like, Gen Z? Or they very mm. much identified me with Gen Z, and I, I have... I picked up things. Like, I think Gen Z is very socially conscious. They're very concerned with... In terms of, like, purchasing, like purchasing mm-hmm. items, goods. They look very much to the company's values and like what they stand for, sustainability. And I think that is very specific to Gen Z. Social justice, mm-hmm. that's part of their generation. Yeah, it's like uh, taboo to not be that. Yeah. And so like, mm-hmm. I, I do like being a part of both cultures in that sense, right? But I don't know, how do you, either of you feel? Like, do you identify <laughs> more as one or the other? It's interesting you say that. I've actually talked about this with some of my older coworkers too. Yeah. It's funny, I, I call myself the last of the millennials. Yes. Like. And the reason why is because I feel like Gen Z is almost a little fickle sometimes. Like when it comes to the professional yeah. in, like workspace, I feel like Gen Z cannot be trusted to stay at a company for more than a year. Mm. Because You know, that's what they said about millennials back in the day. <laughs> so, you know. Okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. I don't know. I don't have a problem with being categorized with Gen Z. But at the same time, I feel like there's some sort of hard working um that's such a boomer thing to say i I, I know i know i know you know what i take it all back gen z is great gen z is great i know what you mean of like you know i think i don't know if this is uniquely also being the offspring of first or second generation like asian parents Mm. but i i think that still the traditional values of whatever the home country was has followed us and so that's still kind of embedded in our culture and how we carry ourselves into work every day versus like the next generation gen z maybe their parents were born in the states born like their parents were born in the state their grandparents were born in the states and so they very much had the freedom to choose whatever experience that they want to have they were given that kind of environment of follow your passion you will be successful regardless of what you do. Wow. Versus us, where our parents are hardworking immigrants. Yeah, we, we worked make, hard to get to this country. Hard, you, you be an engineer, you be a doctor, you be a lawyer. That's or else, right. Yes. That's yeah. right. And mm-hmm. so I don't know if that's like, it gets very much into this like intersectional thing of what are we talking, are we talking about like just generational things? Or are we talking about also values. cultural things and values mm-hmm. of like yeah. being Asian American? Tommy, are you first generation? I've never asked you this. Yeah, it's interesting because my dad was born in Brooklyn mm-hmm. in New York and my mom was kind of a mail order bride. She oh. moved to New York oh. when she was 21 for the sole purpose of getting married to my I dad. I mean, but the thing is, in India, arranged marriages are very common. Very common. So yeah. that's oh, a thing. Yeah. I, yes, I should qualify that, you know, it wasn't... It's like not mail order. You no, know, not mail order, but in, yeah. in that she came yeah. to America because she got married Mm -hmm. and so 
I'm first generation in some ways in that my dad has not gotten a college education and my mom Mm -hmm. has not gotten a college education, so I'm the first person to go to college. Mm -hmm. Technically, he was born here, but if you were to meet my dad, you would think sometimes that he was not born here. Because he has an accent? No, because he has this, like, deep insecurity or, like, some sort of, like, complex about preserving older values. I don't Mm -hmm. know if it's because he's the oldest son Mm -hmm. and, like, his younger brother is very very assimilated like in the tech industry and everything and he feels this pressure to balance that out whatever it is he's very old school in a lot of those ways but he was totally born born in brooklyn so i i'm technically like first and a half generation yeah i would i would consider that still first generation honestly yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. i'm a first generation college student that's for sure yeah Yeah. dang it that's a good never have i ever as well because (laughs) i am not my parents both have their degrees Mm -hmm. that's how my dad came to the country was the degree thing right yeah so like dang that would have been a good never have i ever as well the thing is like we're learning things in the game so that's all good should we go back to playing the game yes yes okay okay so we're we're still all evenly tied right well i just went you just went okay so you guys might be down but no okay now okay so now tombi has three elise has two i have three so now Alisa, you were trying to get both of us out? Yes, okay. <laughs> Never have I ever been in a relationship that was less than three years. What? A relationship less really? than three mm-hmm. years. Ever? I mean, I don't count like flings that were literally like one night stands. But like, do you people... count, okay, do you count high school? Yeah, even high school, yeah. I don't think I've been in a relationship where we were kind of exclusively dating. For okay. Less... I, this is what I'm saying. I've been in long-term relationships like since I started dating. Yeah. Serial monogamous. Serial monogamous. Mm, yeah. Okay. Saying, I really don't want to put a finger down, but I've definitely in high school had a relationship that lasted for a few months. So. Okay, yeah. this is so funny because I really don't like the idea of monogamy, yeah. but I was forced into two <laughs> long-term yes. relationships. But like, but you've had relationships that have less than three years, right? So I've only had two relationships. Okay. Both of them were ten months long. Mm-hmm. I think there's like this sort of mental block against it mm-hmm. going past one year because then it becomes too real. Mm-hmm. But in both instances, it was because my partner wanted to be monogamous actually oh. that's not fair the second one was because covid happened oh. and then you were like might <laughs> as well be monogamous yes, yes. but he was kind yeah. of also i think just the type of person that would prefer a committed relationship if we were going to go for something like that right. mm-hmm. but yeah i mean i think the more interesting part of it is that we couldn't let it get past one year wait yeah. was it both you and your partner or was it my first partner okay. brought that up to me and then with the second partner it was on my mind oh yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But when you say that they they brought it up to you, was it like, oh, they noticed that about you or was it more of just like how they felt about the relationship? It was more of like a, something we reflected on afterwards okay. where we broke up before the one year mark. And I said to him actually at that time, I was like, wow, I can't believe we didn't even make it to one year. And then he was like, I think it's better that we didn't make it to one year because then it would have been really real. And it would have been wow. harder. Yeah. It would have been harder to break up. But that that's point. the thing. You can't put it on you to be like, oh, I'm the one who instigated both like the 10 month relationships. But, oh. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? yeah, I mean, he was very religious as well. Okay. Like, and he was, he was the type of person where if we were going to start seeing each other more consistently, he wanted to be exclusive. I see, I see. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm, interesting. But the second one was convenience. That's why I was like, that's not fair. <laughs> yes. Let me just, that's, yeah. I'm going to put a finger down because I've definitely had relationships less than three years if you count high school. So I'm going to go <laughs> okay. ahead and like put that down. All right, I'm a two too. Yeah, but I will say, okay, I did not write this one down, but this sparked a never have I ever. Right. Never have I ever maintained a friendship with an ex. Oh, all of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, all two of them. Your friends? But everyone I've ever hooked up with, too. Okay. You're, you're, you stayed friends with them? Yeah. 
Good for you. Wow. Yeah, no, that's... I can't. I'm not. I'm yeah. not. I'm yeah, not. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because I didn't get so invested in the first place. Like, mm-hmm. it was always... Like, with the second person, convenient relationship, we went into it being like, this is temporary. Right. And mm-hmm. when we broke up, we looked at each other, we cried a lot, we said, you know, we're both going to get over the heartbreak of this pretty quickly, but we're really going to miss the company. That's beautiful. That's so. That's, that's such like, a mature way that, to break that up. That was gonna say because yeah. like all of my breakups have been so messy. Oh yeah, that, me too. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like I always think, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like from my experience in my relationships or from my friendships that I've known of people who have broken up with their partners, they've at least needed some like cool off period because going back, it's still too fresh. You kind of fall into that same habit of like oh, I'm going to tell this person everything about my mm. life and I, like, I'm like i going to be emotionally vulnerable with this person. So what does it mean to need that separation? Because otherwise, like, you're kind of still attached to them, you know what I mean? You really are. Mm. And the, with the first person, it was also kind of a natural deadline in mm-hmm. that he was still in college and I would graduated. Mm-hmm. So again, that probably made it a little bit easier. But I was super depressed after we broke up. It was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. for six months. I was also tasked with, like, adult life and, like... <sighs> the monotony of a nine to five job. And it was just a lot of stuff at once. But you're right in that if I hadn't had that natural deadline, I don't know if I would have been able to really get over it that same way. Mm-hmm. But regardless, we stayed friends. We yeah. did. Was that pretty immediately after two you broke up? That's or? another thing is that I almost wish I'd given it more time before insisting that we be yeah. friends. Okay. Also, I feel like this these sirens are very um, emotional music yes. backdrop. Yes. <laughs> yes. What you're saying. Yeah. It's like, I mean, kind yeah. of, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's amazing that you were able to, like... We're friends, but... Wait, sorry, we gotta wait for this. This is too loud. No worries. Benefits of living in San Francisco. City life. Yeah. I mean, I want to talk about your experience living in New York, because, like, I, I'm curious about what it's like to live in... I don't want to... I don't know if this is going to... Yeah. But I'm curious about what it's like to live in New we, York. We you can, can talk normally. Talk Let's it. just, like, include it. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. I would say growing up in New York City is a very unique experience. Yeah. yeah. Everyone can live in New York City. Mm-hmm. Right. Becoming an adult in New York City, unlike anything else, well, from my own experience yeah. of doing that only, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> but it's just, you know, I mean, I don't know if we did want Did you to feel, s- this is like a little, maybe too deep of a question, but did you feel safe growing up in New York City? Probably didn't know how unsafe it was. I was on the subway. When I mean, yeah. this, is, this is your truth. This is like your life experience. Why would you think it's unsafe? This is just your reality. I mean, I understand now why yeah. my mom was terrified of letting me go on the subway. But at that time, I was kind of just like, "Mom, come on! I have no, <laughs> I have no life if I yeah. can't do things on my own." Because yeah, that is what it's like. But you know what's funny is like, because I grew up in a very small town. I grew up in a small town in Alabama. It was a college town. It was very quaint, and I always thought to myself, "Oh, this is such a." great place to grow up because it was safe yeah we did we did reckless children things but literally it was just like getting in a truck and doing mud wheels going mud riding <laughs> literally like very safe southern things to do and so i always thought oh growing up in a big city that must be bad because it's mm-hmm. unsafe or you get tainted at an at an early age well but, yeah but i'm curious oh so you say yeah oh yeah i mean yeah. i grew up quick yeah. i grew up quick i got mm. street smart really quick yeah. i knew how to i knew how to sense if somebody was walking too close behind me like by the time i was 13 years old right mm. i knew how to but like, that's good though i feel like that's yeah, good maybe, yeah. yeah you know i mean it's also kind of sad also, like, oh you know. fuck actually fuck i didn't even think about that that is kind of sad but I'm yeah of it. no i, I yeah. have no i have no issues with it mm. because i'm glad that i became that street smart that quickly i think it turned me into who i am today right i i think it just forced me to grow up very quickly it forced me to be 
the kind of person who knows how to take advantage of opportunities when they're Mm -hmm. in front of me. So, like, New York City is full of opportunity. But what I learned at an early age is that you have to seize that opportunity. Nobody's going to give it to you. So those kind of lessons, that kind of street smartness, it just made me a savvy-ass little 16-year-old, you know? Like, that's why I got my own manager when I was 16, because I sat down next to someone, because I was the youngest person working at a theater festival. Because I was going out and living my life by the time I was 16 years old. I'm curious to, to know what your experience was like too because I grew up in suburbia. And so, I mean, growing up in suburbia, very, I mean, very safe, but my parents still never let me like walk by myself. My my elementary school was literally less than 10 minute walk from my house. Oh. And we, my mom still drove me to school every day. Was it unsafe though? It wasn't safe. It was like a very safe neighborhood. Mm. And I think like I was never allowed to go out by myself even as a high schooler. So like. Even in high school, it's funny, this scar right here is because, like, <laughs> so such a stupid story. I went out, like, I, I knew I wasn't allowed to go out. I was like, oh, it's 3 p.m. on whatever weekday and nobody's home. I'm going to go out to Subway, which is a 15-minute walk from my house. <laughs> and to, you got hurt. <laughs> and then I, like, literally was walking. I tripped, I tripped on cement. And I, like, scraped my arm and wow. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is karma. This is karma for me. <laughs> Wait, did you tell your parents? I, told, I mean, I was literally, like, bleeding. And oh, I, like, no. I was scraped up bleeding. Um, I, I bet they made now. you feel bad for Yeah, my mom too. was literally yeah. like, oh, see, this is karma of you. Like, this but is that's you not your fault. No, yeah, yeah. But, but that's the thing, right? Like, this is why part of the reason why I'm so glad that I ended up in a different place when I went to college was because I had a chance to experience Berkeley. I had a chance to experience living in a city, whether that was, like, the area around the college campus or San Francisco because it's just a different environment, mm-hmm. right? Like dealing with people following you or dealing with the city, the different things. Like I was assaulted on the street in San Francisco, right? Like somebody literally punched me and having that experience was like, okay, this is what it means to be living in a city. And it just helped me be more aware of my surroundings. Wow. <laughs> helped me be more aware of my surroundings, right? I mean, I'm very grateful for yeah. that. I feel like everybody should live in a city at some point, even though you say like, oh, I, don't, I never want to live in a city. It's not for me, whatever. I think it's really important to live in the city and and also just experience public transportation, experience mm. walking to places and and seeing what's going on because if you're just trapped in your little suburban bubble or urban bubble or, or like not urban bubble, your rural bubble, it's going to be very hard to adjust to a new environment where there are noises, there are, there are sirens, there are gunshots. Like my neighborhood mm. has a bunch of gunshots. Yeah. Um, how are you going to deal with the world? Yeah. yeah. But also I think you interact with a, 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 a plethora of people exactly, when you live yeah. in a city yeah. different cultures different backgrounds where you don't get that same thing in a small town or a suburb which yeah. I think is really yeah. important thank you for sharing your story I never knew you got punched in the face yeah. I like, never knew that that's like and you like grazed over it too and I was like whoa <laughs> that's so jarring yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm I'm impressed that despite all that you think people should still live in the city and I think that's an amazing yeah. perspective to have I will say one thing, which is that no amount of living in the city makes me any different from anybody I know now. I feel like you catch up. You guys are just as street smart as I am now. I just Mm -hmm. had it earlier in my life. Right, right. And God bless my mother for... I just can't imagine (laughs) what that woman went through. Letting a piece of her heart, 13-year-old piece of her heart. Take the subway, New York subway. Seriously, like, I, now that I think about it, I'm like, I'm so afraid of my, for myself today, Mm -hmm. taking care of myself. Yes. I can't imagine letting my child walk around. But, you know, I, I, thank you, mom. Thank you, mom. I just say a shout out to Tommy's mom. Yes, exactly. I do just say, like, it's amazing that you had that experience, though. I mean, again, with all the struggles that come with that, 
but living in New York and I don't know, I've lived in the West Coast all my life and whenever I go to New York, it's very much, you have to have the street smarts. You have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to take what people say to you and how they interact with you with a grain of salt, right? Especially being a performer and actor, that I feel like is very much so tied to your identity slash self-confidence and everything. And so being able to build that resilience in that environment, I feel like it was super valuable. And you have, I feel like, you know, even just meeting you today, I feel like you have such a confidence that I don't have. No. Yes, yes, yes. So I know you say that we've all catched up, but like your confidence and the way that you present yourself and the way that you're able to sell and you're able to also just see through people, right? Like Mm -hmm. I, I think that's like a really like amazing trait about you. Well, yeah. you. And like, I think it's like a mix of like where you grew up, but also like your upbringing too. Cause you mm-hmm. could have really sheltered parents in New York city and then also not get the same experiences oh, that you did. Totally. Yeah. So I, I have <laughs> friends. Cause I actually went to like this, like, like New York city prep school, which mm-hmm. I'm mumbling it cause I'm not super proud of it, but like <laughs> did go to this little prep school and mm-hmm. There were so many sheltered kids there, mm-hmm. and I don't think they had the same experience as me because some of them had chauffeurs, and some oh of them had goodness. really fancy houses and their own private jets and shit. Yeah. I, was, I was a public school kid that got, like, basically was, like, on scholarship there, okay, just, like, yeah. for the record, but... I saw kids living in the city who had a very different experience than Mm -hmm. me. Yeah, and I would say, like, I grew up in, like, a suburb small town, but I would say, like, my parents were pretty free about me, like, leaving and going out. Okay, not that free, but I had a very easy way to sneak out, so... Like, I, I, and I swear, I swear they probably knew. They have to have known. But yeah, so I think I was able to get that sort of street smart experience mm-hmm. because of that. Not necessarily, <laughs> I don't know. And like, my parents were like strict, but they weren't like super strict, I would say. I do have to say, yeah. like, certain, I feel like, and I don't want to generalize, right? This is just speaking from my experience and from hearing you and mm-hmm. hearing Tanvi's experience. Is like, you kind of find your ways around the rules a little bit. Like, oh, you've, yeah. You've mm-hmm. had to, like, I was not allowed a boyfriend in high school or college, and I still managed to have a boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, you, you find ways to kind of make it work, and you make it work for you because your parents will always have an expectation of who you should be and, like, mm. what, what they want for you, and it's not always going to work for you. How can they say, like, oh, like, don't date anyone through high school and college, and then especially after you graduate college, why aren't you married yet? You know, like, why is that, like, the... Ooh, that's a good point. Like, why is yeah. that their expectation, right? And mm-hmm. I think maybe, like, maybe subconsciously they know that we're going to be the ones right. to break their rules. Mm-hmm. And right. just like they themselves have broken the rules with their parents, right? right? And... Yeah. I don't know, maybe they don't notice it. But, right, yeah. and as a kid, you kind of just accept that they're going to be stuck in their ways, and yes. so you're going to have to make the decision yes. to live the way that you want to, mm-hmm. and you know, hopefully in the process they'll learn something, and mm-hmm. maybe they'll grow and change a little bit too. Yeah. Actually, this is... Mom, I'm sorry, but um, <laughs> is she going to listen to this podcast? I used to smoke a lot of weed mm-hmm. in high school, mm-hmm. and I started smoking in freshman year of college. Kids, don't do drugs. <laughs> I started smoking yeah. weed freshman year of high school, excuse mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. and my mom caught me in my senior year of high school, mm-hmm. and she was so devastated. She's like, you're going you're yeah. to throw your entire life away. I was like, Mom, when I started at the school, I had C's and D's. Currently, I have A's. And I've been smoking weed this whole time. (laughs) Like, challenge what you think you know about Mm -hmm. the world. And she literally was like, okay, just don't get arrested. Oh, hey. You know? And here I am, Mm -hmm. a successful person, a young person, smoked all through college. It just goes to show that there's so much 
fear in the way that we've been we've been raised in the way that we have our like set beliefs and like mm-hmm. as young people growing up in America I think we've always had to just make this decision to look past what our parents believe to be true and decide yes. our own truth yeah I will say this is like taking it on a different turn but like yeah. I don't no 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 no, no. Same, same tangent same tangent but if I were to be a parent I would want to be like a very laissez-faire like I'd want to treat my kid as an adult and have those conversations versus being like no like no to everything yeah. I want to just be able to like, communicate with my kid same but like yeah. who knows I mean I don't know what it is like to be a parent sometimes you have yes. to say no I know no. sometimes know. you really have to say no we don't know we don't know I think yeah. you know like honestly regardless of how our relationship with our parents you know and sometimes they do surprise us like I, I do like find moments of like where I'm really surprised that my parents take news a certain way um it's hard to be a parent right however they were raised like if I ever do become a parent, I kind of want to instill some of the same values of like, hey, you know, financial stability is important. Yes. Like, because mm-hmm. like I, I've had experiences where, you know, I have peers who have not had structure growing up mm. where their parents were like, do whatever you want, follow your dream, whatever. And they kind of are, are left to their own devices to figure out what that means for them. And they're struggling so hard right now. Yeah, you know, that's they're working, a good point. Yeah, they're, like, they're like barely making it with like minimum wage jobs. And they're really struggling because they're trying to figure out like the correct mindset and the correct like way and path of how do I get from where I am right now to where I want to be? What do I even want to be? There was nothing mm-hmm. set for me where of, of, of a, there were no expectations of what I should even be accomplishing. Mm. So... I think there is some sort of balance of like... Yeah, it's like, a fine line. Yeah, it's like, don't mm-hmm. don't be like, hey, kids, you can do whatever you yeah, want. But like, yeah. hey, you know, I do want you to follow your passion, but how can we strategically do it in a way... You that set will... yourself up for success. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. this, my friends, is the difference between millennials and Gen Z. <laughs> yes. Full circle, full circle. I love that. Um, okay, wait. I do want to finish this game. Yes, though. Yes, we're yes, so yes, close yes, to yes. finishing it. I forgot how many fingers. I think, I think I'm on two. I think I'm on. I think we're all on two now. Wait, yeah. Is, um, I did the belly button. I did the ex friends. Ex friends. X has X's uh, as friends. Oh, okay. so that was your turn. turn. Yeah. Oh, am I down to to one then? No, I'm still at two. I think. Well, did you put a finger down for mine? Oh no, then. big. You were friends with your exes, so yeah, you got to so, put a finger. Yeah, so me, uh, me and Elisa are not, but you are at one. Fuck. That's okay. I mean, we're, we're all so pretty close. Okay, so the score is Tom V is at one, Elisa's at two, and I'm at two. Yeah, but so. I'm about to get y'all out again. Go for it. <laughs> okay, maybe not. Um, let's Don't see. do like an obvious race one because yes. that's too obvious. No, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, never have I ever started a side hobby or like a side gig, a side gig. Really? Well, wow. not something like you guys. Mm. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wait, wait. You have a podcast. You had a business. Like, mm-hmm. nothing like that. I, it's interesting that you say this because you just exist in your two different identities. Like, it's not like, it's not even a side hobby for you because you're just like, I am this and I am also this <laughs> other thing. And yeah. so, like, you can't, I have to say, one of them has to be what a side hobby. Yeah, but wait, because I, you did say that you wanted to, like, do act, you do acting. You're a director. And, and, yeah, you're, a, you're, a, and you're a director and you're a sales in tech. So, yes. like, you have multiple okay. facets as well. I will take that. I will take that. <laughs> But I, I still think y'all have, like, babies that you, like, mm. created. And okay. I, I don't have yeah. something that I've, like, created that same way. I think, because I don't want to get out. So I'm trying to think of, like, <laughs> what have you done? Yeah. Mm. Fine, I'm, if you, you really want me to not be able no, no, to no, no, use no, no, it. No, 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 no. <laughs> because, okay, side gig. Okay, I, I feel that. I feel that. Well, it depends. Like, when you say there's a side thing that you're babying, is it more of, like, oh, this, like, 
kind of isolated thing where you're kind of building it from the ground up or is it more of just like something else to take your attention away from your main thing? I really think it has to do with the creation of something. Like okay. you've actually like created something and like put it out there in the world, at least to a certain degree, regardless mm -hmm. of the maturity of the business. But I wouldn't say that I've had any sort of project the same way where I've created something externally besides my main job or something like that yes i do participate in other activities but it's always like i'm part of something else i haven't really create anything on my own mm. how much of that is your own internal probably side? very that's internalized. what i'm saying <laughs> like, internalized. like even like all the whatever you know whatever side things that i'm doing it was because i was involved in these different that's communities mm -hmm. like i'm a part of these different communities and so i think you discount yeah. yourself so much because you were telling me, I mean, we had a pandemic. We were in a pandemic. Right before the pandemic, you were involved in directing. And that, yeah. I feel like, is very much... It's a mature. Yeah. Well, you know... Creating I, from the ground up? I swallow my words not because of the directing and not for the theater, which, by the way, thank you for pointing that out. I swallow my words because in high school, I did have a baby. I yeah. created a an LGBTQ activism group, which was inter-school. So I had 20 different New York City public oh, schools. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty cool, honestly. Yeah. Like, we, I, always, I had all these kids come together every weekend or once a week, once a month or so. And we used to just be like, dude, this is what's going on in my school. Like, yeah. this is what's going on in my school. Like, some kids, like, they're, like, in Catholic school and they just, like, mm -hmm. were going to be kicked out for being gay. So we would be able to like, just have the space to be like, this is what's working. You know, this is what's working here. Yeah. Like, okay, so, you got to swallow those words. I know, I got to swallow those because like right. that's amazing yeah that's did you put that on your resume for berkeley because i felt like that's a very big I for did, berkeley i did yeah. write one of my essays about it but mm -hmm. it was about like leadership because it was part of this program that mm -hmm. i was doing it was part of a program <laughs> but i applied to that program with the intention of starting this and right. but you started yeah, it right i did yeah okay exactly. that's freaking cool yes should i pick something yeah else? pick something yeah. else <laughs> <laughs> I think I just down, yeah. thinking your noggin because I bet there's something yes. else. I mean, you've written a couple things, right? I do have. I have okay. a couple of stuff. It's okay, but well, it's, it's okay if it doesn't get us out. I'm just I, saying. Yeah, right. I'll okay. say something a little racy that I don't think is gonna get either of you out. But okay. never have I ever gone home with someone that I've met at a club or a bar or something. You've oh. never done that. I think I've gone home with people I met at frat parties, mm. and then other than that, it's been a lot of like online dating. Yeah, I can't think. Maybe it happened, but I can't think on the top of my head of anybody that I've met at like a club or a bar and like gone home with. Oh, I'm gonna put a finger down because I've definitely done that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this, this is me being in a six year long relationship <laughs> not knowing what modern dating is. <laughs> wait, okay, so yeah. a bar counts, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, then, yeah you know what's really crazy? Because I don't know if that's gonna be a thing that's exclusively from this millennial mm. generation of like meeting people at clubs, meeting people at bars, go going home mm -hmm. with them, feeling safe enough to do that because now we have these apps. Now we have all these things where they have these built-in safety measures and people feel more safe if they meet up over Zoom first or versus you meet someone at the bar. What are their intentions? What are they doing? Like, yeah. yeah. Also, I will say, yeah. like, I don't... I'm not proud of it. I, 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 if, if I... I don't have any regrets in life, yes. but like if there was like a magic wand, it's like, you want to take that back? I'd be like, yeah, I'll take it back. That's cool. Yeah. I don't need that in my life. So like, I don't yeah. like, you know, not saying like there's no like judgment on people that do that or whatever. Sometimes like, people get married off of that. People like meet mm. in a crowded room, yeah. see each other's eyes and like dance so and like, true. yeah. No, so no, at least so two people in my life. They've met their partners at clubs. That's right? really, That's yeah. cool. Went to a wedding this year. Or, oh, yeah. no shame. No yeah. shame. Is that the one that you went to in Napa with the expensive wife? No, that was not. Okay. okay. It was this wedding this year that that is like yeah. they, they met at a they met at a club and yeah, I was yeah. Like, oh wow 
See, I feel like that's like a more romantic, sto- like a more romantic story than dating apps. Yeah. Like, you know, in a it's way. It's kind of cool. I mean, yeah. wherever. Like, it, just the fact that it was, what, a dimly lit place that serves alcohol? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Or just the fact that it's not digital, you know? It's yeah. like you met in person. That's really what That's, like, is. so rare now, really I feel. Rare, yeah. yeah. I have a tangent. I okay. I want to inject this tangent. No, please. Okay. Please And this relates to what we were talking about earlier yeah. about how we seem to have, like, I don't know, we seem to have like a tech solution for everything, you know what I mean? (laughs) And I think more and more the tech solutions that we're going towards are just kind of optimizing the existing problem, like, you know, the existing experiences that we have now. And they're just like really just optimizing, they're just improving it versus anything that's like really new and innovative, you know what I mean? Can you imagine modern medicine? That is very innovative. That is like things that we have not done before and that's really drastically changing the quality of the human experience. But like meeting someone at a bar versus meeting someone on a dating app, right? If you compare those two at their given times, I think anybody would say, yeah, both are very valid experiences. Both are like great experiences. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's so funny that you say that because <laughs> I actually, I, I've started exploring relationships with women yes. over the past year or so. And I found that finding women that I'm attracted to that I match with on dating apps so much harder than with men. Yeah. And I actually find myself being like, can we just go out? I would like to meet somebody in person. I feel like it You can like see my personality. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm saying. Technology can't solve everything. (laughs) everything. So, you know, there's still two distinct distinct experiences, I think. Mm -hmm. And like, we can get in a whole other topic about just dating apps and the experiences of like, queer people and like straight people and yes. like men and women yeah. on dating apps it's like, so vastly different like, like yeah. knowing if someone is queer when you like meet them in person and not meet them through an app right mm-hmm. it's like yeah, yeah. Now are they really- into me or are they just being nice like yeah. you know what I mean <laughs> I will say as someone who's by and played with both girls and guys on the dating apps so much harder to get matched with, with girls yeah like and then it makes you think like Am I just not attractive to women? I know, I'm like, am I just like, not attractive yeah, to like the females? It? Like, yes. I don't know. Now, yeah. I really hope my mom doesn't hear this because she's not ready for that. <laughs> so let's reel it back. So now, okay, I have one. You have two. Yes. You have one. one. All right. So oh, she has the ability to get us oh, out right now. Well, you have the ability to win right now, Lisa. Okay. Okay. I don't know if this. I don't know if I'm gonna get both of you. It's very tough. I was very afraid of breaking any sort of rules, and I was very much, you know, growing, like right, like growing. I mean, still, now, still now, I go through TSA, and I'm like, who's gonna stop me today? Did I leave a Did I leave a lotion bottle in my bag? But like one thing I do say, I never have I ever taken weed before my third year of college. Ooh, that's a you good bitch. one. That's not that's fair. That's not fair. I literally said that already, like earlier in the conversation. That's not fair. No, that is. I, I mean, all all's fair and love and more. I'm man. like, I don't know. I don't know if either. I've done that too, though. So yeah, like, yeah. Fine. Say, yeah. No, no, yeah. that's a good one because I've definitely done. I'm not gonna say how early, but I've definitely done weed earlier than that. So. Yeah. Dang, cheers to us oh, for yeah. losing. You know, but that's the thing. Like, you know, cheers. one thing I did. Wait, hold on. Wait, cheers. Cheers. Tommy. I am. Tiny clink. Tiny clink. Tiny, tiny clink. And I'm out of. <laughs> it's okay, because we know what the losers are clinking, so. That's right. <laughs> no, but. <laughs> I do have to say, though, like, I really love that cannabis is becoming more embedded in our culture and, like, mm-hmm. in terms of how we can enjoy it. Because before, back in the day, you know, like, oh, it's illegal. It's, like, very whatever, whatever, right? Now it's, like, it's healthier than alcohol like it's you know what I mean? it's like better for you like you think like i really love can i don't know if you've tried can it's like the two milligrams of yes, the THC, thc like very minuscule yes amount. but it's like yeah. you know i love i would rather like i mean i love alcohol you know mm-hmm. i mean i love the experience of alcohol right mm-hmm. but like i would very much you know for my health benefits like if it like i would prefer like a cannabis drink you know what i mean 
Yeah, okay, I know we've talked about this. It's more so just like, I think for certain people, weed is can be unhealthy. Like for me oh, yeah. personally, I've realized that I had to stop mm-hmm. because it was making me paranoid. It was making me unproductive. Like I got into the habit of just doing it too much, I think. Mm-hmm. And now even if I do it like once on the occasion, I've realized for myself that I enjoyed the ritual of it more oh. versus the actual getting high THC. So like I would say for people who are in my boat, like I would say like smoking a CBD joint is way more pleasurable for me because like I just, I can't be high. My eyes get really red. I get very antisocial, very much like internal spiraling thoughts. I will say, I think it's great that weed is being decriminalized because I don't think it should be criminalized, but Mm -hmm. I think there should be either more research done on who can take it or there should be like some restrictions, right? Like, I don't think babies should take it. I don't don't think you should take it if you're in high school. I think you should wait, honestly. But that's what they're saying about, Mm -hmm. I mean, this might be old, outdated research, but mm-hmm. like, you know, while your brain is still developing, you shouldn't be smoking it that much. You yeah, shouldn't be taking your brain, it that much. Right. Yeah, like, because like, I, but that's the thing, right? Like, outdated research, don't know um, what it is. Like, but that's like kind of been my experience with taking mm-hmm. weed. It's like that paranoia, that like feeling of like, like that internal spiral of anxiety. Like, am I going to pee my pants? Like, literally, <laughs> every time I like get high, I'm like, the yeah. first thought of it, I'm, I'm going to pee my pants at some point. <laughs> Yeah, I like I like, like yeah, I like can and I don't mm-hmm. I think it's because I think we, I do enjoy the experience and it's because mm-hmm. like I don't do it as often and mm-hmm. but I don't know. Like with anything, you need to enjoy things in moderation, right? Because yeah. like too much of something even with just alcohol, for example, I, I found myself like drinking a lot, whether that was drinking socially or and, and going out and doing something because I wanted to present myself as someone who could be social, right? I think that is kind of destructive. And so you're finding that your habits or like what you're doing is becoming to a place where it's inhibiting what you're doing or it's altering your state of mind, your well-being, then it is, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Oh, and so man. like, I know, Gustav, I want to hear your perspective yeah, now because yes. we've heard both of our perspectives and I want to yes. hear what you have to say as <laughs> someone who has smoked weed and maybe is con- thinking, because it's okay, if I, can I, I say, can I say it's yeah. like you're thinking about slowing down yeah. kind of thing. So I'm yeah. curious to hear your experience. Very, very, very interesting experience. Mm-hmm. I want to say that I, it really was just about habit and ritual because mm-hmm. I've said for many years that is my relationship is that I'm just so used to it. But recently I had a very long, hard discussion with myself where I asked myself where similar compulsive behaviors, refusing to let myself sleep, refusing to give myself food throughout the day, where are these all coming from? And I realized that it's actually rebellion against my own authority. Mm. So there's a part of me that says to myself, smoking weed is bad for you. And then there's a part of me that says, well, that's why exactly why I'm going to fucking do it. You know, and same thing, you should feed yourself. That's why I don't need food. I don't, (laughs) I'm going to go the whole, you know, so it's like this like authority loop. I discovered that and like, decided I was going to do something about it. Already, I've kind of started to, like, have less interest in weed. I mean, recently, basically, I... It's about... Okay, so this is about addiction, because Mm -hmm. a lot of people will say addiction is about the substance. But what I'm realizing is that, for me at least, like, addiction... Because you can't really be addicted to marijuana. It's not Mm -hmm. an addictive Mm -hmm. drug by, like, nature. But, like, for me, it was the ritual. But it was the ritual. Yeah, it was addicting. Mm -hmm. So it's not really about the substance. What I've realized is that it's a relationship between abuse and use. So you can use a substance as much as you want. But as you said, moderation is a thing. And so you need to be able to know for yourself when it's crossing into the territory of abuse. And I think for myself, basically 
every day at 5 p.m. I would get high and say that it was out of use, but it was actually out of abuse. And it was just a way of me for me to escape into a different reality that mm-hmm. only belonged to me, where if I went out in public, like I was the one experiencing like this kind of interesting reality. And it was a way to very quickly disassociate myself from the work day and the actual reality of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I really was abusing it, but fully telling myself that it's okay, because it is okay. It is okay to use marijuana. But for myself, I needed to really get down and accept that my relationship to it was a little bit unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After having come to that conclusion, basically what's happened in the last two, three weeks is that I've stopped smoking bong, mm-hmm. which was like the easiest and fastest way for me to consume weed and also the easiest way for me to overdo it because mm-hmm. I would just smoke entire bowls even though I didn't really need to finish the whole fucking bowl but I would just do it because I could you know and like I just kind of after that whole parent like authority thing realized like I'm overdoing it so I stopped doing that and then now I but what I didn't do was say you have to stop altogether so I switched to smoking joints and what I found now is that I'm smoking less and less joints and Mm -hmm. recently I kind of just told myself I'm not even interested in doing it. Yeah, that's how you know it's not addictive, yeah. though. It's because, like, you're able to stop so easily. Yes. Yeah. It yeah. was so psychological. Mm-hmm. But one thing I do have to say, you know, what you are mentioning earlier about how the addiction comes not from the actual substance, but from the habit. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've done studies about people who were deployed to Vietnam during the wartime. I think they would just do op- opioids because mm-hmm. that was the thing. And they were very addicted and it became a pl- to a point where they were like kind of not reliant on it, but like they were going back to that addiction. But as soon as you took them out of their environment and they came home, very few people continued that addiction. And it was very contextual and it was very much that was the environment. And so um, just hearing your story about what does it mean for you to just make it less attractive to you? And I've studied a lot about, when I say study, I mean like I've read a few books, listened to podcasts about it. I mean, I think that's a pretty decent amount of research. yeah yeah, yeah. But, but like about like yeah. habits and how like habits are the kind of like the fundamentals of like how we like navigate the world right, right. and so like you know maybe that 5 p.m ritual that you do for yourself was because it had become a habit right and like one thing that one quick change that you made was instead of using a bong you just switched to like a joint right yeah. and that was a quick change that made drastic yeah, right. right. Like an environmental change. But, in but a way. if I had to make mm-hmm. a point, I would say that it's not just about the habit yeah. because if I hadn't gone through the unblocking of that yeah. psychological compulsion, no matter if I switched to bong, I would be smoking five joints a day. Like mm-hmm. I would not stop that same compulsion of why I was getting high. So if I had to tell anything to the listeners out there, it would be that really ask yourself why are you getting high? Mm -hmm, Because once I started asking myself, do you even enjoy being high or are you doing this for Mm -hmm. some other reason? It led me down the path of like, whoa, like maybe you're trying to escape into something Mm -hmm. and maybe you're trying to like defy some sort of thing that you think is right and try to do something Mm -hmm. wrong. And you know, like there's just so much more behind it, but all of those things are the reasons why the habit formed in the first place. And I will have to ask you, do you think, you would have gotten to that conclusion without therapy. Ooh. <laughs> I'm just curious. My therapist and I have been working together for seven years now. Yeah, yeah. For the entire seven years, she's been like, I think you should stop. No, she mm-hmm. didn't make me stop in the end. In mm-hmm. the end, it was me having a cold, hard decision with myself about not being the adult that I wanted to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And then going and telling my therapist, hey, by the way, I made this decision, and she was shocked. Yeah. But, you know, it's so interesting to me that, like, you know, part of that behavior of, like, you know, you were talking a lot about, like, that rebellion that you had. You had this thought, like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to do it because... That's in why. In spite of that, yes. right? Yes. And I don't know, like, how much of it was... And we've talked a lot about generational trauma of being... Asian American having those traditional values instilled in us. I don't want to always point back to the parents. I don't want to always point back to your upbringing and to explain the negative or bad behaviors that you have mm -hmm. as an adult today. Mm -hmm. But do you think that's kind of been the reason why that kind of is what started it? Mm -hmm. I want to say, you know, oh, therapy helped me. I want to say, <laughs> oh, it's because of my parents. I really think it is all really inside. And yeah. Really why I think it started in the first place is at a young age, any sort of thing like uh, exploiting moderation is about control. It's mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. this is something that I have full control over. I right. can and I will. And I see my sister going through this right now with sugar. Right. She's nine years old and she is lying about stealing. She's so she's so little she doesn't understand consequences, right? So like she'll steal candy from my mom and then mm. my mom will be like, where's the candy? And then she'll just lie about it like compulsively. And you know, we thought at first like, oh, she really just likes sugar that much? But it's like, <laughs> no, it's yeah. about control. Mm -hmm, it's yeah. about taking a substance that is there and just being like, I have power over you. So I know you said it didn't have anything to, your, to do with your family, but you just mentioned your sister. Yeah. And so like, that's the same thing with like my siblings. So I have an older sister and a lot of like the same kind of habits and behaviors I picked up that I've not necessarily been happy with. I see the same traits in my sister, mm. right? This like, like one thing, one telling for both of us is like, using escapism as like we get distracted very easily like so easily it's very hard to focus on one thing we just like go on one thing we just get distracted procrastinate 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 because we can't face the thing that we need to face yeah. right mm -hmm. and so like you just said about it not being about family but you just talked about your sister and so have you learned have mm -hmm. you learned more i guess have you learned more about yourself through kind of seeing what your sister is going through now and or do you think there is any sort of relationship between yeah. that yeah, I think the part where family comes in is, you know, your built environment, things that mm -hmm. you can't really control, like your circumstances that are built around you. My parents got divorced. It's not their fault. Like, yeah. it's not their fault that I went living between two houses and it was like freaking so... I still have trauma from that every time I go home and I'm 26 years old now. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not their fault that that happened, but that is true, that that is how my family structure became. That is how my real life circumstances became. And this is how I reacted as a result of it. So my sister's going through the same thing because her parents are divorced. My mom and my stepdad got divorced. And unfortunately, these kinds of repeated patterns, like they show up in our lives. And I can't say that there's anyone to blame for it. There's no drug to blame for it, too. Yeah. It's just kind of like fucked up. It's unfortunate, but like nobody wanted it to be that my sister needs to control her habits by misusing sugar. But you're right that we have that in common. And it's actually because things that happened within our family structure mm -hmm. and just what happened to us in our lives made us that way and yeah. kind of led us into that habit. And my mom is an amazing mom. I, I often tell her I think what she was meant to do in her life was to be a mom. Yeah. Because both me and my sister, like, 
I, I think my sister is wise beyond her years. Like right. she is the most intelligent nine-year-old you will ever meet. Just so emotionally intelligent. And that's why it's kind of heartbreaking to see her go through this right. because we're just like, how can somebody so smart, so articulate also be struggling with like baby addiction? She's, mm-hmm. she's going through child addiction, like with sugar, you know, like same thing that is me. And but I it's like controls, like because she can't have it, she will take it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I want to control this. I'm going to take it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess maybe I have a lot more to unpack in terms of where our value systems come in and like, you know, how maybe nurture versus like how nurturing could have changed things. I, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I think those repeated behaviors that you might see between you and your sister come yeah. from a place of we have the same circumstances in life. This is what these are the cards that we've been dealt. We've been dealt very similar cards, mm-hmm. and this is how we've reacted. Yeah. One thing that I have to say, um, I think it was very insightful for you to say like nobody wanted this. It wasn't intentional for your parents to have this circumstance, right? And that's something that I've had to come to terms with a lot these past two years. Like I went to therapy for the first time, like at the start of the pandemic because good I realized you. yeah good, good for, for you. Thank you. Good for you. you thank you because like I was just denying this part of me I was anxious like all the time like people pleasing anxious all the time and there was a point during my th- like being in therapy in like, these past two years where I'm just like you know if only my parents weren't like this like if only like I wish my dad didn't treat me like this and then like I have to realize you know both of them were just trying their best they, this is not their intention and mm-hmm whatever experiences led them to be the person they are today to treat me, you know, who treat me however they did, you know, and I I will not agree with, and I will not, I try really hard not to pick up on like what my parents have done. Like I can't blame them for everything. And I I have to remind myself, I always have a choice in my situation Mm -hmm. as helpless as I feel. Like if I see a, a behavior in myself that I'm unhappy with because I picked it up from my circumstance, initially my blame was like i wish my parents didn't do this to me mm-hmm. i would wish that and that's like no i have the power to to change that and it'll be hard and i have to go through therapy and i have to like do a lot of unlearning and this, it's really fucking shitty and hard but don't blame them for, i can't blame them for everything they were trying their best they don't yeah. they didn't actively unless some parents actively, yes. but, some, but some people are like narcissistic, but, you know, mm-hmm. that's another story. But like, you know, for the most part, parents try to be helpful. They, they, yeah. they do it out their best interest, even mm-hmm. if they were grown up in like a different background, whatever, and they have different experiences and they teach you different things. But at the end of the day, they love you. And I think yeah. I had trouble recognizing that as well, because I would always blame my parents. So it's like, oh, my this because you did this is the reason why I'm like this. And I'd be so yeah. angry. But it's just like, I think just coming at it from an angle of love and compassion. I think that's been difficult for me to like grasp. So I'm going to say something, which is that I'm so glad you both came to that realization. Mm -hmm. Now you should also be a little bit forgiving of yourselves because you would Mm. not have come to Mm -hmm. this realization no matter what until you grew up and you're, you're older now you're your own adult. That's why you see your parents as being human and being Mm -hmm. whoever they are and having to make the decisions that they did because at 12 years old at 15 years old you could not see them as individuals you saw them as your parents so Mm -hmm. you could not have had that insight until you were a certain age not only that but like also having a life that was away from them like I like moved out of my house and I think all of us have experienced living not in our family home and I think it is an important experience for everyone because again Mm -hmm. I do have friends who have lived in their family's home up until now right? right and they're late 20s right like and 
yeah, it'll save you a lot of money on rent. But, <laughs> but also, like, you kind of, like, don't grow up in that sense, right? You don't get right? to see them that mm-hmm. way. You yeah, yeah. You don't get to see them. Like, mm-hmm. And, like, even now, like, whenever I go home, there's still kind of that power dynamic. There's still that kind of resentment and, like, annoyance and frustration that I have to work through whenever I'm home. And it, it, it isn't until I step back and come to my safe space in San Francisco where I'm like, okay, you have a choice in this life. And also coming to terms with you can't change them. Like, yeah, I've tried. Like, I've tried. Mm-hmm. And, like... Coming to terms with that, and that was something I learned in therapy, it's like, you know, I would talk about some frustrating behavior from my parents, and, like, the sh- my therapist would ask me, is that something that you have the power to change? And it's it's not, right? Mm-hmm. So you either have to accept that and set your own boundaries, mm-hmm. figure out what your boundaries are, and then make sure you stick with them so that you can protect yourself. Yeah, I think, like, for me, the word boundary triggers my parents. I can't yeah, yeah, yeah. say that because they're like, oh, you're setting up a boundary. We're supposed to be a family. Like, you don't love us if you're if you're setting up boundaries. But, yeah, so it's, like, more of just I am currently struggling with, like, okay, let's not say the word boundaries, but how can I set up those parameters for myself so, like, they don't go into topics that I don't want to talk about or, right. like, you know, yeah. so it's, like, it's just that relearning of that that I'm still like going through and everything right. like that so and you have to accept that you might not ever change yeah. that yeah they might not ever respect my boundaries but if that's the case then okay there, there are ways I can get up and leave I can be like hey if we keep talking about this I have to step back yeah exactly yeah. you can't change them so what can you do about yourself that can make yourself happy and safe and you know healthy yeah so yeah okay we've talked a lot you yeah. guys this is amazing I'm so happy so I think everything that we've talked about today, I know we just played like a fun game of Never Have I Ever, but I think we got into some really, really awesome deep yes, topics. Yeah. Exactly. And I hope like whoever listens to it, you know, can find some part of it that like is helpful or relatable or just like funny, you know, just enjoyed <laughs> listening to us talk. But yeah, so love y'all. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a daisy-ish day. And say bye to Tommy and Elisa. Bye.